Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. So good to be with you in worship today on this beautiful Sunday morning. And I want to say hello to all of you with us, joining us from home or wherever you might be on this holiday weekend. It is good to be with you as well. Um, Just a quick announcement. Next Steps is a class that we have here for you to come learn more about the history, uh, the, the vision and mission and affirmations of this church our denomination, our ministries, how you can get involved, et cetera. Um, But I don't like it anymore. I don't like the class anymore. And here's why. We have like 25 or 30 people gathered in Redeemer Hall, and Dave and I present material, and people listen, and it's just not conversational anymore. Uh, And we cover a lot of material in that hour, but um, we want conversation rather than presentation. And so Dave and I talked, and we're, we're shutting it down. We're not doing Next Steps classes anymore. We're calling them Next Steps Conversations. And we want to invite you to, to, to sign up for that online if that interests you. It's going to be the same material, but we're doing it around the conference table over lunch with two or three people or families at a time, taking it down in scale so that we can have a conversation with you. I want you to learn all that you can learn in an hour about Redeemer, but we want to get to know you and hear your story and your journey of faith. So, if that interests you, uh, please sign up for that because once we have two or three signed up, we reach out and we start scheduling them uh, and and they've been going really, really well so far. And so, come have a conversation with us about Redeemer in the near future, but we're done with the presentation. Y'all okay with that? Y'all okay with that? All right, good. We're in week two of our series on the Beatitudes called Living the Way, the way of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven, um, and that's what we're studying for six weeks. Briefly, if you were here last week, you heard me use um, loading the dishwasher as a sermon illustration, and all week I've been receiving text messages and emails and photos from you about your strategic dishwasher loading, and I just wanna say I had no idea I, I worshiped every week with so many incredibly talented people spiritually gifted people who know how to load a dishwasher properly. Um, I also know that many discussions took place. Instead of leaving last week and talking about the Beatitudes and the poor in spirit, we talked about dishwashers at home and many discussions took place and some mild arguments about who's the best dishwasher in your family. And I just wanna remind you, don't let that be a wedge between you and anybody. You can work through that in love and with patience, but I do wanna take a quick poll if we do offer an equip class here on dishwasher loading, who would be interested in? (laughs) I love that, okay. Last week, I set the scene for Matthew chapter five in this first discourse that we receive from Jesus known as the Sermon on the Mount And I then attempted to define the way of the kingdom of God. What are kingdom people, kingdom adherents, 
How do they live? And I did have someone ask me this week, Adam, what, what about when I read in, the, in his teaching kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven? What, what are the difference there? And I just wanna remind you as you read and as you study the Sermon on the Mount during this series that Jesus uses those interchangeably, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. We then looked last week at the first beatitude of this series, blessed are the poor in spirit, and I regret last week not taking a moment to introduce the actual meaning of beatitude. So I'd like to do that now at the top of this message. Beatitude means supreme blessedness. These blessed statements early in the Sermon on the Mount come from the word makarios, and it means happy, supremely blessed. It means fortunate, but wait a minute, it actually means more. It can also carry with it the understanding that this person is supremely blessed and happy and fortunate, but also to be envied. This person is also to be envied if they're living out this kingdom lifestyle. Now that, that makes sense with some of the Beatitudes, right? If you know someone who has pursued righteousness over the course of their life, or they're a meek person, they set an example of meekness, or they have a pure heart, they're a peacemaker. I'm married to one of those, and I highly respect her for the peacemaker that she is. Those people you can envy. Those are really awesome things going on in their lives, but Jesus is saying all of these, the poor in spirit can be envied. Those who mourn can be envied. Those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness can be envied. Does that make sense? Not to me. Mourning's not fun, right? Persecution doesn't sound all that great. But why? Because the poor in spirit will inherit the earth. Those who mourn, it says, they will be comforted, which literally means invited into the very presence of God to be comforted in their sorrow. Those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, they, why can they be envied? Because they have a reward that's coming. So as we read the Beatitudes, it's not blessedness and happiness just for those, those good and happy ones like, yay, peacemakers, yay, pure in heart. It's also the persecuted. It's also the mourning, the teaching of Jesus, the way of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, this life that we're invited into is so countercultural and so counterintuitive. Listen to how author Jonathan Pennington describes the Beatitudes. I love this description. He writes that we can compare the work of the Beatitudes to that of a plow in the fields, drawn along with determination, it drives the sharp edge of the plowshare into the earth and it carves out a deep wound, a broad channel. And in the same way, he writes, the word of the Beatitudes penetrates us with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to break up our interior soil. It cuts through us with the sharp edge of trials and with the struggles it provokes. It overturns our ideas, reverses the obvious, thwarts our desires, and bewilders us, leaving us poor and naked before God. All this for what? In order to prepare a place within us 
for the seed of new life. What a fun series. Six weeks of breaking up our interior soil. Six weeks of reversing, turning upside down our way of thinking or what we've learned. As we continue to talk through the Beatitudes, I offer you this encouragement today. As you read and study and comprehend the Beatitudes, don't do so just as instructions on how to live. Like Jesus isn't preaching this going, hey, do these things and these, do this and that will happen. But instead, look at them as also directions to where God can be found. Not just instructions on how to live, but directions. This is where we will see God at work. Okay, let's dive into today's verse. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's begin today with an honest scan, an honest assessment of our hearts. Now, I'm a couple days ahead of you on this scan and on this assessment because I did it when I was preparing. And I'm not all that pleased with some of the things that I discovered about my own heart. But here's the question for us to wrestle with today. Do I, and I want you to ask this very personally of yourself, do I hunger and do I thirst for the wrong things? Do I hunger and do I thirst for the wrong things? God created us with a longing on our hearts for eternity. He created you to have this void that only his love could ever fill. And here we are, what are we doing? We're waiting. We're waiting for the fulfillment of that promise of eternity that will fully satisfy our hearts. And as we wait, we experiment with counterfeit, cheap substitutes for eternity. Idol after idol after idol. And slowly as we do this, our longing for eternity loses its intensity. And worse, our hearts have the tendency to start longing for different things, other than the kingdom of God. It is spiritual infidelity. I received a shirt for Christmas. Thank you. I took it a few days later back to the store to exchange it for a different size. And when I went to this store, I couldn't believe what I saw. I walked in, it was madness. It was total chaos. It was really loud. 
It was just this frenzy of shopping. The line, as I'm looking for the item to exchange, the line went out the front door of the store. And when I looked around, I just hate shopping anyway, so I'm already overwhelmed. When we got in the parking lot, I made comments to my family at the car, I don't ever want to go to this store again. Like that was borderline scary. When I looked around, some people's faces represent this unquenchable appetite for more. It's almost as if I could hear their stomachs growling, hungry for another item to hang in their closet. In describing the way that Israel had abandoned God long ago, we read that many people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If the grass is always greener everywhere you look, if you have this voracious longing for more, more possessions, more status, more money, more uh, attention, more approval, more toys, more, 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 if you're consistently lured to that next temporary pleasure that this world has to offer you, saying that it will fill you, it will fulfill you, and it will satisfy you. I implore you, stop drinking from broken cisterns. Turn around and drink from the spring of living water. Isaiah says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. In other words, it's not too late to change your diet. It's not too late. Change your diet, put the things of the world aside, and hunger and thirst for righteousness instead. Everybody okay? All right, let's, let's pivot and let's get into Jesus' teaching even more. What is the righteousness that we read of right here? When he says hunger and thirst for righteousness, what is it? There are several interpretations of what Jesus means here and how we read righteousness in the Gospels and in Paul, but this word is particularly important in Matthew, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. All five times that it's used in this sermon it, it's used in reference to right conduct in the eyes of God. Righteousness, right conduct in the eyes of God. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to have an appetite for doing what is right before God. So let's take a moment and let's look at another use of the same word in the same sermon. Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That ought to get our attention, right? 
Fittingly, what follows this verse throughout the rest of chapter five, Jesus offers us multiple illustrations of how our righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Perhaps you've read these, but here are three. Verses 21 to 26, we must not murder. But Jesus asks for more. We need to avoid anger. Verses 27 to 30, we must not commit adultery. But Jesus calls for more. We must resist lust. Verses 38 to 42, we must not seek revenge, but Jesus calls for more. We must return good for evil. Listen to this. Avoiding anger is making peace. Resisting lust is maintaining a pure heart. Returning good for evil is to be a merciful person. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? This is an awesome sermon. His Not mine, the Sermon on the Mount is incredible. It's extraordinary. Jesus is preaching good stuff here. He preached all three of those as beatitudes at the top of the sermon, and then later on he starts unpacking them and showing us how this applies, readily applies to our lives today. This is good stuff. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, verse nine. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, verse eight. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, verse seven. And you might be thinking, surely there's more to righteousness than that, and I think you're right. I think there's a lot more. I think we could have a 52-week series on the righteousness of God. But from the illustrations that Jesus uses here, immediately following a call to be hungry and to be thirsty, to be righteous people, immediately following, he gives us these illustrations. He gives us a starting line, an incredible starting line saying righteousness, hey, it's showing mercy. Be a merciful person. Righteousness, it's being pure in heart before God, righteousness is an intentional effort at all costs to live at peace with everyone. He gives us a starting line here. And this is not our instinct. Would you agree with me? All right, I can relate to this side of the room more. I got a lot to learn from you all. Would you all agree with me? This is not our instinct to be people of mercy and purity and peace. At least it's not mine. I'm gonna tell you a story. You, you have every right to look at me and think that story's not true because it's almost unbelievable. But it's something that happened to me recently. I was out jogging and a high school kid whizzed by me on an electric scooter. Just And I was so impressed in his scooter, I just followed him with my eyes like, wow. There he went. And so I keep jogging. And I could hear behind me that the kid had slowed down and turned around. So I see him coming at me now on the scooter and I start jogging faster. But he's got an electric scooter. Catches up to me, stops right next to me, and looks at me and he goes, what are you looking at? (laughs) 
Good day to you too, buddy. (laughs) He says, what are you looking at? I said, your scooter? (laughs) He started cussing me out. See, I told you you wouldn't believe this story. Maybe he hated my jogging style. Look, he was giving me an earful. And I'm standing there, and while my, while my shock is turning into total confusion, because I just don't know what's happening, he then says to me, why are you looking at my scooter? He was very aggressive, 16, 17 years old, bigger than me, and I've had brain surgery in the last year. I'm all about preservation of this. (laughs) He says, why are you looking at my scooter? I looked back at him and I said, because I can. (laughs) He didn't like that answer. (laughs) And so what started then was about a 30 second stare down between this young man and me. 30 seconds felt like an eternity. The whole time I'm thinking, I don't know what I did wrong, I jogged on the wrong day, but this young man wants to whip me, and if he wants to scrap right now in the middle of this neighborhood, how how do I handle this situation so that I'm not the local pastor in the newspaper (laughs) who got into it with a high school kid over a scooter, and I had no good ideas. I did not know how am I going to get out of this situation in a good, (laughs) appropriate way. And uh, after 30 seconds, I just looked at him and I said, hey, are we good? And he goes, yeah. And I go, cool scooter. And he goes, thanks. And then he just took off. (laughs) I was like, what just happened? Bye! You know, like, it was the weirdest scenario. And I come home and I'm telling my family, I've, Ellie was there, I, you're not gonna believe what happened. I just got cussed out in my neighborhood for jogging. And I don't know why. And I'm telling them this story. And guys, do you know what my instinct was? To defend myself. My instinct wasn't to love him. My instinct wasn't to put my arm around him and say, young man, tell me about your life. What's going on right now? You okay? Why are you so angry at me? Can I help? My instinct wasn't any of those things. And as, in that moment, I realized, like, you know, I may have had a little attitude when he asked me why I'm looking at his scooter. And I said, you know, because I can I I didn't have an instinct that was for him. I had an instinct that was to protect me. And as kingdom servants living this way, this way, we should certainly share a desire, a hunger, a thirst for righteousness to be restored in all of our surrounding world. But here's Here's what I know and here's what Scooter Boy taught me that day. I could look at him all day long and say, something's wrong with that kid. 
Just like you and I look at the world around us constantly and say, something's wrong with our world. Look at all the evil that exists in our world. Yeah, true. But Scooter Boy taught me that day, I need to start with me. I need, I need this deeper hunger, not for restoration to be restored in this evil world, but God, restore my heart. My heart is broken. My heart has fallen. I can speak and act and walk in the wrong manner. I want a hunger for righteousness so that I represent his kingdom and I represent my king in every single situation. So thank you, Scooter Boy, for that lesson. Listen to these psalms. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath, do not fret. It leads only to evil. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The more we hunger and the more we thirst for righteousness, the promise in Matthew 5, 6 is that we will be filled. That sound good to anybody? Just like an all-you-can-eat buffet fills your stomach, God's saying, I will fill you in your spiritual life. I will deposit something into your heart and soul that nothing in this world could ever deposit into your heart and soul. And I will satisfy you, I will fill you, and I will fulfill you in what I have to give to you. Don't listen to these counterfeit gods of this world. Don't hunger for the wrong things in this life. You're not created to be filled by anything else other than him. Everything else is fleeting. C.S. Lewis was right when he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world, another kingdom under the kingdom, the dominion and authority of one king. And he wants to sit on the throne of your heart. Let's not hunger for the wrong things. Let's hunger for righteousness. Pray with me, God, if any of my brothers and sisters can relate to my own life today, I repent and I confess to you that my eyes shift onto these fleeting, counterfeit gods that do not satisfy, do not fulfill. They don't even love me. They want my attention and my affection. Oh, they don't love me. You do. And you have given us the right of adoption, the right to become sons and daughters of the living God, the right to relocate from this life and to belong and to become a citizen of another kingdom. So Jesus, king of that kingdom, renew in us today. May today be a reset for us. Renew in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And everyone said, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. 
To stay connected with all that God is doing here at Redeemer, you can visit RedeemerTulsa.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Have a blessed week.